Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 7th of December 2022. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Ian, Liz, Helen, Mina, Pete, Simon, and of course, not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have some local news for the Black Country, an update from Beacon, information about fit over filter glasses, a quiz with Mina, news from Wolves and West Bromwich Albion, a Did You Know section from Flashback Roger. All about the history of Christmas cards. This week's weather ahead. And to round off, a captivating article from Liz about one of the most notable and famous performance artists in the world. Local news to start, however. And this is with Liz, Christine and Ian. But first up, we have Angela. Black country businesses and residents are being warned to plan ahead and expect disruption with rail and postal workers, civil servants, nurses, midwives and ambulance drivers all taking industrial action. Striking middle metro workers won a 20% pay rise last month, which will strengthen the resolve of every other union fighting a dispute. With the fire brigade union beginning to ballot members and lecturers and refuse workers walking out all year, comparisons have been made to the 1970s. Associate Professor Stephen McCabe, a political economist at Birmingham City University, told the Express and Star that we're experiencing a 2022 version of the 1978 winter of discontent is beyond doubt. The range of sectors which are engaged in industrial action to improve paying conditions is dizzying. For any government to be beset with industrial conflict will always create challenges. Solving disputes in key sectors will always take time and energy. However, at present, what appears to be occurring, whilst not coordinated, certainly has a feel of unions believing that this is their moment to address grievances by members who feel they have become poorer whilst the bank accounts of the richest have swelled. Patients are waiting months for hospital treatment and key targets are being missed by trusts in the black country, some faring worse than others, latest figures show. The Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust has been ranked 42nd and the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust has been ranked 105th out of 120 in England for their overall performance against key duties of care to its patients. 
The rankings take into account patients waiting more than 18 weeks for hospital treatment, A&E patients waiting more than four hours to be seen, cancer patients waiting more than 31 days to start treatment, and patients waiting more than six weeks for a test. Health bosses in the region have acknowledged the pressures on services, but have stressed that progress is being made. Diane Wake, elective care lead for the Black Country Integrated Care System, said, We know that patients are waiting longer than we would like, and NHS staff are working extremely hard to address the backlogs. Despite exceptionally high demand for services, we are making significant progress, with almost 200,000 procedures being carried out every month across the Black Country. Considerable investment has been made in surgical hubs and diagnostic centres that will help to protect elective treatments from wider pressures, especially in future years. Increasing the use of technology, such as robotic surgery and having dedicated day case units, also helps to increase the amount of elective procedures that can be carried out and allows patients to spend less time in hospital and recover in the comfort of their own homes. A blunder at a lab which saw thousands of positive COVID-19 cases reported as negative could have led to the deaths of at least 20 people, according to new estimates. The error at the Wolverhampton lab meant that around 39,000 PCR tests were reported as negative when they should have been positive between September 2nd and October 12th, 2021, mostly in the southwest of England. As a result, many people would have continued with their daily lives and not self-isolated, even though they had COVID-19. Experts from the UK Health Security Agency have estimated that the blunder led to about 55,000 additional infections. Researchers also estimated that there were about 680 additional hospital admissions that may not otherwise have occurred. Similarly, it was estimated that there may have been just over 20 additional deaths in the most affected areas. NHS Test and Trace suspended testing operations provided by Immensa Health Clinic Limited at its laboratory in Wolverhampton in October 2021 following reports of inaccurate results. An investigation into the blunder conducted by the UK HSA concluded that the error occurred because staff at the lab set the threshold levels for reporting positive and negative results incorrectly. Jenny Harries, UK HSA Chief Executive, said, UK HSA is committed to being a transparent learning organisation and this means investigating where things have gone wrong and working out how things can be improved. I fully accept the findings and recommendations made in this report, many of which were implemented as soon as UK HSA discovered the incident. Less than a third of appointments were face-to-face at one Black Country GP practice last month, as surgeries seeing the fewest patients in person were named and shamed by the NHS. Fewer than three-quarters of all GP appointments in England were held face-to-face last month, latest data shows. 
amid increased anxieties about getting in the same room with a doctor as improvements in technology mean more consultations are held online or over the phone. The new monthly statistics aim to give patients an insight into how their surgery is performing compared to others. Across the country as a whole, just 73.4% of GP appointments took place face-to-face in October. Black country practices with the fewest face-to-face appointments were Dr. Fowler in Oxley and Keelinge House, respectively, both delivering less than 40% of appointments in person. Meanwhile, it has also been proving extremely difficult for some people to get appointments with their GP on the same day, as only 38.9% of appointments were held on the same day in England last month. The average wait for an appointment in England was between two and seven days, according to the data. Black country practices in Wolverhampton and Dudley, with the fewest same-day appointments, were Tetnall Road Medical Practice and Quarry Bank Medical Centre, respectively, both providing less than 20% of appointments on the same day. There have been increasing reports of people in the region having difficulty seeing their GP over the last couple of years. The government insists it is determined to help more people to get access to their doctor. Health Secretary Steve Barclay said, We promised to prioritise patients and improve access, and that is exactly what we have done. And this is just the start. I am determined to make it easier for people to get an appointment with their GP practice when they need one. And this will allow patients to make a more informed choice about the care they receive. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon, back with your weekly update and what a week it's been. We've just had our annual Santa run at Wolverhampton's West Park. Incredibly, almost 200 Santas strapped on their running shoes for a festive fundraiser in Aid of Beacon. We welcomed runners to West Park for our annual Santa run on Sunday, December the 4th. The popular event was started by the Mayor of Wolverhampton, Councillor Sandra Samuels, OBE. Adults who took part received their own Santa suit and medal as a thank you for supporting the charity. And youngsters got a Santa hat and doggy participants received their own beacon bandana. We'd like to thank everyone who took part. We so appreciate your support. Our Santa Run is one of a number of events held by Beacon to support our work over the festive season. We've also got our community Christmas lunches coming up, which will take place on selected dates throughout December at our Sedgley Centre. It's a free course meal for £22 per person with live entertainment. I think it sounds fabulous. It's hoped that all of our festive events will together raise more than £6,000 to support Beacon's work with people impacted by loss around the region to find out how you can support beacon at christmas as well as learn more about our other activities such as bowling swimming and spinning you can find out more on our website www.beaconvision.org or give us a call on 01902 880 Now, it's recently been Given Tuesday. I don't know if you'll have heard of it before, but it's a day to show your support for charities like Beacon. We use the event to launch our Take On 250 Challenge for Beacon. We want you to complete 250 of any activity you want to raise funds to support our work. Why 250? Well, every day in the UK, 250 people sadly start to lose their sight. You can find out more about how to get involved on our website, www.beaconvision.org forward slash 250. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon with another update. Cheers that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, 
We first hear Christine. Andy Street has been revealing why India holds the key to the West Midlands economy. He has vowed to continue to forge links with the country, which already has close ties with the West Midlands through the automotive and business processing sectors. The mayor recently returned from a trade mission to India and Bangladesh, where he met with major firms including JLR owners Tata, TVS Motor Company, which owns Norton Motorcycles, and BSA Motorcycles owner Mahindra and Mahindra. He told the Express and Star, India was chosen for our trade mission because they are already the second biggest inward investor in our region and are nipping at the heels of the US. The Indian economy is growing very well and in terms of investment, they are major players in some of the sectors that our region is involved in. They are going to be the third economy in the world very soon, so we've got to be making sure that our links with them are strong. It is a hugely important relationship going forward. Mr Street said India was disproportionately important to the West Midlands, with half of all Indian investment to the UK in 2020 coming to the region. He said the post-Brexit free trade deal, which is yet to be signed, would give the West Midlands a new opportunity to grow its economy in the years ahead. We already have strengths that suit their businesses, he added. All the talk in India is on the keenness to get the trade deal over the line. The two Prime Ministers are committed to doing it and we certainly stand to benefit from it more than most. Mr Street said the Commonwealth Games had been a major factor in raising the region's profile with potential investors around the world. He said, we now have more than 1,200 companies looking at investing in our region. Before the Games, the number was less than 600. The challenge is now converting the inquiry into actual investors, but we've certainly got plenty of leads to follow up on. A Tory MP says the Black Country plan failed us all. As she warned ministers, the Green Belt will be lost forever without planning reforms. Wendy Morton said the now collapsed plan, which earmarked land across the four boroughs for 77,000 homes, would have decimated the Green Belt for executive housing. The Black Country plan was axed at a cost of £2 million after Dudley Council pulled out in a bid to protect green belt sites around Kings Wimford. Mrs Morton told the Star, We want to see an end to top-down housing targets, destruction of our green belt and our locally elected councillors being overruled by faceless bureaucrats who sit behind desks with no understanding of our local needs or agreed plans. Her intervention came after Rishi Sunak pulled a vote on the levelling up bill after 46 Tory MPs, including Mrs Morton, backed an amendment to scrap mandatory local housing targets for councils. She said she failed to see how four or five bedroom detached houses in one of the most expensive parts of my constituency would solve the housing crisis in our country. I want the next generation of homeowners to have my start in life, to be able to get on the property ladder at the first opportunity, she said. However, the previously proposed Black Country plan to decimate our green belt in favour of executive housing will do nothing for the future generations of homeowners. Indeed, it will only succeed in further destroying the aspirations of that generation. She also called for reform of the planning inspectorate and warned, if we get this wrong, our green belt will be lost forever and we will fail in our ambition to realise economic growth. The future of a 200-year-old tree in a black country nature reserve is secure 
after vital work to prolong its life was completed. Dudley Council has been working with the Friends of Saltwell's Nature Reserve to preserve the life of what is known to locals as the Wishing Tree, a western red cedar. The 200-year-old tree sits on a piece of land at Saltwell's National Nature Reserve in Briley Hill, which came back into the council's ownership earlier this year. The tree had sustained damage over recent years and also suffered from a number of arson attacks. To prevent it sustaining any further damage, weakening or even dying, the council has reduced the size of the canopy by cutting it back by one third. Councillor Shaz Salim, Dudley Council's Cabinet Member for Highways and Public Realm, said the world's oldest red cedar is more than 1,400 years old, so our tree is still very young in comparison. We know this is a special tree for locals and we want to do all we can to protect it for as long as possible. By reducing the tree by one third, it does change the look of the tree, but was essential to protect the parts of the tree which had the greatest chance of survival. Thanks as ever to the Friends of the Reserve for supporting the Council in this piece of work. Les Drinkwater, Vice Chair of Friends of Saltwell's Nature Reserve, said, This tree is very special to us and the local community, and we hope taking this action now will enable it to thrive for at least another 200 years. Gardens in the region have been bursting into life once again due to an exceptionally mild November month of weather. Flowers and plants have been entering a second spring due to the warmer conditions, prolonging their bloom for months longer than usual. Nikki Barker, a senior advisor at the Royal Horticultural Society, said, Things we'd expect to flower in October, like fuchsias and salvias, are still flowering now and show no signs of stopping. Roses are putting on new buds and they're still producing, so it is quite a considerable extension to the flowering season. I even still have coriander growing in my vegetable pot. Pippa Greenwood, a botanist and manager for the Horticultural Trades Association, said the way our greenery is responding to the mild weather is completely crazy and mixed. There's a weird mixture of some trees that are a bit stressed from the drought and have some leaves, while some dropped their leaves weeks ago. Some are sticking to the timetable, while some are coming into bloom for the first time this year. November's mild weather is the latest in a chain of events that have affected the life cycle of our gardens this year. During the drought this summer, lots of plants became dormant like they would in winter, but they are doing it in summer because it was too hot. We've had a lot of rain in November and it's been very mild, so it's produced lots of new growth. However, some plants are using a lot of resources now, so they may flower later next year. If things become out of kilter when they flower, the things that feed off them like insects are thrown out of kilter and blue tits feed on insects early in the year. It has the potential to disrupt a lot of life cycles, Miss Barker said. Extreme weather events are becoming more common. We may not know the effects of them for several years. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, here are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. 
Why did the ancient Chinese send cards to their friends? Question two. How many people are estimated to be employed in the greeting card industry? Question three. What was the name of the man who devised and sold the first Christmas cards? Question four. How much did he sell his cards for in 1843? Question five. What was the nickname given to postmen in the Victorian times? And finally, question six. On average, how many Christmas cards does each UK household send each year? I will be back with the answers later in the show, but for now, good luck. Just those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. Three West Midlands councils have received a share of more than £1 million to improve the quality of supported accommodation. Wolverhampton, Walsall and Coventry have received the cash from the government's £20 million Supported Housing Improvement Programme, which aims to stop rogue landlords from exploiting vulnerable people through low-quality housing. It comes after levelling up Secretary Michael Gove wrote to all councils and housing associations, ordering them to raise the bar on standards and take urgent action where people complain about damp and mould. Wolverhampton South West MP Stuart Anderson said the government was showing it had zero tolerance for unscrupulous providers who were abusing the supported housing system. He said, We are sending a clear message that time is up for rogue landlords who take money from the taxpayer while exploiting vulnerable people. By taking this action, we will ensure residents of supported housing can be confident in the standard of both their accommodation and the support available. It comes after the region received additional government funding to tackle homelessness and rough sleeping. Mr Anderson added, I also welcome the new significant package of support to deliver on our mission to end rough sleeping for good. The £1.5 million investment for local services will help to ensure that, should anyone find themselves sleeping on the streets, that the experience is brief, non-recurring, and that support is promptly provided to address any underlying vulnerabilities. Volunteers at a community radio station have been celebrating after being officially crowned Station of the Year. Black Country Radio, based at the waterfront in Briley Hill, was named Station of the Year at the 2022 Community Radio Awards, which celebrate the best of local radio across the UK. The station was presented with the prestigious award at the end of the evening with its services described by the judges as an upbeat, engaging and informative service which is to be highly commended for their work both on-air and off-air. Station director Alex Totney collected the trophy on behalf of the Black Country Radio team and dedicated the win to the station's 150 amazing volunteers and said, We couldn't do any of the things we do nor make any of the difference we make without them. Our wonderful listeners make us who we are and we dedicate this award to them as well. It put the stamp on an evening of success with the sports team winning the gold award for sports show of the year for Saturday sports show while Friday night Clive presented by Clive Payne and produced by Andy Caddick also picked up a silver award in the speech and journalism category. 
Finally, technical director Tom Walker, who volunteers countless hours behind the scenes with his team of specialist technical volunteers, keeping the station on air and developing new state-of-the-art services, won a silver award in the Volunteer of the Year category. It capped a year of success for the station, which received the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service in 2021. Saw volunteer Alex Griffiths received the British Empire Medal for his work with the NHS and presenter and volunteer Billy Spakeman recognised in the Dudley CVS Kindness Awards. The region's largest living heritage museum is appealing for the public's help to bring a once much-loved home of music back to life. As part of the Forging Ahead development, Black Country Living Museum will be recreating Stanton's, the iconic music shop that previously stood in the heart of Dudley Town Centre. The shop was opened by James Stanton at 10 Castle Street in 1895. In the late 1950s, much of Castle Street was demolished for Dudley's Town Centre redevelopment, including Stanton's Georgian Building, which will be recreated at the museum. The museum is appealing for people to come forward with 1940s to 50s instruments, such as guitars, brass instruments and recorders, as well as musical items, including books, music sheets, stands, amplifiers and even advertising signs and materials. Since the development was announced, the museum has already collected several stories from people with memories of the shop, including memories of purchasing their first instrument and hearing their favourite music record in the listening booths. The recreations will also see Laurie Thomas hairdressers, which has stood in Tipton since 1904, replicated on the site as it looked in 1956. The museum is looking to try and find products and equipment used at the time, such as brill cream and silvercrin hairspray. It's that sort of trinket that you might have kept on display because you just really liked the product, Black Country Living Museum researcher Nadia Awol explained. If anyone has any information about instruments or has anything that could be donated to the museum, can get in touch with the team at Collections at bclm.com or call 0121-521-5600. Football's governing body, FIFA, have been accused of failing colourblind fans after a nightmare kit clash during the Football World Cup in Qatar. Colour blindness affects 1 in 12 men and 1 in 200 women worldwide and those who struggle with a colour vision deficiency struggle to distinguish the difference between green and red more than any other colour combination. Last week's encounter between Switzerland and Cameroon allowed both nations to battle it out in their traditional home colours of red and green respectively. The selection went against FIFA's own equipment regulations, which state that kits worn by players and match officials must contrast sufficiently, including to help wherever reasonably practicable those with a colour vision deficiency. Both Switzerland and Cameroon have white away strips for this tournament. According to campaign group Colourblind Awareness, there have been kit clashes between goalkeepers and match officials in virtually every World Cup match so far. Speaking to Reuters, Catherine Albany-Ward, 
the society's chief executive said, We have worked with FIFA since the last World Cup to help it establish regulations on shirt colours. FIFA recognises that red versus green will be traumatic for people with colour blindness and that other colours interfere with it. We are so disappointed with the kit selection permitted by FIFA for the Group G match between Switzerland and Cameroon, which resulted in many thousands of colourblind fans worldwide being unable to follow the match. More local news to follow. But now Pete's got an idea which may help with the visual discomfort some people get from bright lights and glare. If you need help with sight loss, then filter glasses might help you. Filter glasses are a range of glasses specially for sight loss, designed to protect your eyes from harmful UV rays and reduce glare and bright light, and also improve contrast as well. They make things clearer to see and your eyes more comfortable. They can either be worn on their own, or you can wear them over your existing prescription glasses. Wearing a sun hat or a baseball cap or a sun visor can also help too. So if you'd like to try the range of Cocoon filter glasses and find the right lens and frame to make life a bit more comfortable for you, then call Beacon Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. You can call on 01902 880 111 and ask for a sight loss advisor. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear from Liz. A toddler has been reunited with his teddy bear after losing it while watching his father turn on the Christmas lights in Wolverhampton. Actor Michael Greco, who played Beppe DeMarco in EastEnders, was turning on the city's Christmas lights alongside his fellow cast members in the Grand's pantomime, Aladdin. When the family got back to their hotel, Michael and his partner Helen realised that their son, Gianluca Greco, was missing his special brown teddy bear comforter. Even worse was that the whole family felt incredibly sentimental about Teddy, as he played a pivotal role in Gianluca's early life whilst in Great Ormond Street Hospital. For the first two months of his life, we'd put the teddy on his head to calm him. So faced with the loss of Teddy, Helen racked her brains to find a way to reunite her son, who is now 16 and a half months old, with Teddy. I went onto Facebook. There were lots of groups I couldn't join, but one called Community let me put a message on, asking if anyone had seen Teddy. People were saying if anyone can find it, Enjoy Wolverhampton can, she said. To Helen's surprise, Enjoy Wolverhampton managed to find Teddy very quickly. It was so sweet. They took a picture posing with him, she said. I cried. They were so amazing. They dropped him off with Michael, who was rehearsing in the town centre right at that moment. I daren't take it anywhere now, she laughed. Helen's post has now been shared over 300 times on Facebook, leaving her completely in awe at the sense of community in Wolverhampton. I tried to reply to every message, but there were so many, she said. You have such an incredible community. This would never happen back home. There are a lot of amazing people around here. A black country postman has been hailed as a hero after saving the life of a man who collapsed outside a sorting office. Dan Howells sprung into action outside the sorting office in Stourbridge after 78-year-old Daryl Taylor collapsed after suffering cardiac arrest while collecting a package. 
Mr Howells administered CPR for around 10 minutes to Mr Taylor, who had hit his head during the fall and had stopped breathing. Speaking to the BBC, Mr Howells, who was talked through the resuscitation by West Midlands Ambulance Service after calling 999, said he was still coming to terms with what had happened. He said, I'm so thankful that Daryl's come through and he's going to be coming out of hospital in the next week or two. It's just nice for this really heartwarming story to come out and even to make people more aware that CPR training is really important. Top respect to the operators on the 999 calls because they were really clear, really straight to the point and got me through it. If you do do these first aid classes, take note as you never know when you're going to need it. Mr Taylor is now recovering in Russell's Hall Hospital after going into cardiac arrest and his daughter Lynn Wilkes offered her own thanks on Twitter to Dan and West Midlands Ambulance Service. Dan was amazing. My dad is still with us thanks to him. He deserves a medal. There are no words to thank Dan enough for his amazing efforts. An amateur handyman and army veteran has started creating homemade disability rehabilitation equipment to help those who need them, all from his Wolverhampton shed workshop. Mark Dickinson, an amateur DIY enthusiast and a veteran of the Royal Anglian Regiment, has been making the equipment as a more cost-efficient way of making early intervention therapy equipment more accessible for disabled children. Mark set up the CatNat not-for-profit organisation because of his granddaughter, Nathaline, who has cerebral palsy. The private therapy ultimately ended up costing around £13,000, where Nathaline mainly used a tool called the Pickler Triangle. Mark talked about the cost of the equipment that inspired him to make his own. He said, My daughter told me that the piece of equipment she used was around £160. It cost me around £30 to make myself. I decided after that that I would carry on making the equipment for those who need them. I hate seeing families who need this stuff going without. If they don't have the equipment at home, then they don't get the same opportunity to grow, really. The retired veteran from Oxley now makes a range of different equipment, including parallel bars and seat benches, with all donations going into the business to make more apparatus for those needing it. Mark said, Really, the heroes in all of this are the children, parents, rehabilitation nurses and the charities who help these families. They are the real heroes. I would personally like to thank Mark Boyce and the members of the Rotary Club of Wolverhampton for giving their constant support and for their donations. Mark currently struggles with mental health issues and PTSD that prevents him from working. He said that creating the equipment helps keep his mind focused. A terminally ill patient's daughter has written a poem of appreciation to amazing staff at the Black Country Hospital which cared for her. Lena Donaldson has pancreatic cancer and has recently been on Ward C24 at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust. Lena's daughter, Esther Donaldson, penned the poem, Thanks to Ward 24, which has been framed and presented to the ward in recognition of the efforts of the staff there. Esther, who works with homeless people in Wolverhampton, has been writing poetry since she was 10 and often marks special occasions with a poem, but this was a first. She said, I want to say a massive thank you to the staff on C24 as they should be pleased and heartened to know that when they go home after their shift, they really do make a difference. 
They have touched the lives of my mum at the worst possible time. The ward is a very good example of the standards the hospital is striving for. The standards of the staff are amazing and we want them to know they are appreciated. We have seen at first hand how hard they work and they should know that they are special. A poem written by Esther Donaldson was copyrighted in 2022 and reads as follows. Thank you, Ward C24. Here's a simple poem just for me to say how wonderful you all have been during my hospital stay. C24 will forever stand out as a fantastic place. You help me feel at ease, so comforted and safe. Thank you to Helen, Kelly and Amy too, and Calvin, Jana and Sunita, and Dr Ritzenthaler too. Thank you to all the staff whose names I can't recall. My gratitude and appreciation extends to one and all. Your compassion, support and warmth really is second to none. It will be cherished and remembered even though I've moved on. You allowed my family to spend time with me and that means so much. You really are all angels with a very special touch. I wish you all success, good health and endless happiness. Take pride in all you do, C24, because you really are the best. With love, Lena Donaldson. Up now, it's trivia time. Brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone Are your Christmas preparations underway yet? I hope that you're doing better than me Although I have looked out my Christmas lights And untangled them ready to put up And posted my letter to Santa Although this year I've emailed him As we don't have a chimney anymore to launch it skyward Any road up Here we go Now then did you know that? The ancient Chinese sent greeting cards to wish their friends and family good luck for the coming year. In 15th century Germany, cards celebrating the new year were also produced. Designing and making personal Christmas cards is one of the most popular craft hobbies in the UK. And charity cards are also popular, raising an estimated £50 million each year. And there are about 800 greeting card publishers in the UK most of which are small businesses with just a few employees. The greeting card industry employs over 100,000 people. About 60% of all greeting card sales are Christmas cards, and about 33% of all cards have religious themes, while snowmen, reindeer, Santa and shopping are also popular. The first commercial Christmas card was devised and sent by Henry Cole in 1843, who sold his cards for a shilling. Cole was an English inventor who also founded the V&A Museum. In the 19th century, the post office delivered cards on Christmas Day in the UK. Postmen were often known as Robins because of their bright red uniforms, and Robins became a popular Christmas card motif. Every year in the UK alone, an estimated 1.8 billion Christmas cards are sent and received. The average UK household sends about 50 cards each Christmas, and most are written and mailed by women. One of the earliest Christmas cards sold for £22,000 in 2001, and there's a large and valuable collection of cards collected by Queen Mary in the British Museum. 
Most people, after the Christmas season is over, will take down their festive decorations and simply throw away their Christmas cards. Fortunately, most gloss and matte Christmas cards are recyclable in your household cardboard or paper bin. Only designs featuring foil or glitter have to be thrown into landfill. But it's good to know that some supermarkets collect our used Christmas cards. The act of sending Christmas cards is a strong and unwavering part of British Christmas tradition. And now more than ever, people in need can be really helped by purchasing Christmas cards offered for sale by most charitable organisations. If you place an order with your favourite cause, you'll be helping to support their efforts throughout the year as well as just at Christmas. Well, I have to say that I do like Christmas cards, and it's good to know that there are so many that can be helped along the way with the charitable ones. Any road up, I'm off. I've ticked off sorting the lights ready for our turn on, ticked off the cards so it's on to check in to see if we've got enough wrapping paper and sellotape but till next week then i'll just say bye for now ta a bit ta up now we have to hear what the weather has in store for us brought to us as always by mina weather for this week ahead will be mainly cloudy but dry with temperatures getting colder dropping to three degrees by the end of this week with a chance of seeing our first winter showers and frost so this week may be the right time to start protecting all our plants and flowers from the winter chill uv levels are expected to be low the sunrise and sunset times are 8.05am for the sunrise and 15.55pm for the sunset. For Friday 9th of December, we have sunny intervals and light winds with a maximum temperature of 3 degrees. Moving on to the weekend, on Saturday 10th of December, we have light cloud and light winds with a maximum temperature of 3 degrees. On Sunday 11th of December, light cloud and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 1 degree. Moving into next week and the cloud will remain light. On Monday, the light winds will still be with us with a maximum temperature of 1 degree. For Tuesday 13th of December, the cloud will be light with a gentle breeze and a maximum temperature of 3 degrees. On Wednesday 14th of December, again it's light cloud and a gentle breeze with a maximum temperature of 3 degrees. Overnight temperatures may continue to dip below zero with a touch of frost in places. And finally for Thursday 15th of December, it's currently forecast to look a lot like Christmas with heavy snow showers possible along with a gentle breeze. Maximum temperatures of 4 degrees. So, that's your forecast for this week. As always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up next, we hear from Helen. The Met Office, in conjunction with the UK Health Security Agency, has issued a level 3 cold weather alert, which will be in place from Wednesday the 7th of December to Monday the 12th of December, as severe winter weather is forecast. A level 3 alert is issued when temperatures are expected to drop to 2 degrees for 48 hours or longer, and or widespread ice and heavy snow is predicted. In the Black Country, forecasters have predicted severe cold weather and icy conditions, with temperatures reaching below zero this week. 
People are encouraged to take extra precautions to keep safe while the alerts are in place, such as checking on vulnerable friends and neighbours, keeping food and medications in stock, and ensuring homes are adequately heated. Dr. Anata Dave, Chief Medical Officer for the NHS Black Country Integrated Care Board, said... Taking extra care during cold weather is really important, particularly for people who are vulnerable to suffering ill health due to the cold, such as babies and very young children, older people, pregnant women and people with pre-existing medical conditions. It is recommended that we should heat our homes to at least 18 Celsius in winter as this minimises risk to our health. If you can't heat all the rooms you use, heat the living room during the day and your bedroom just before you go to bed. Try to avoid going out in cold, icy weather, but if you do need to go outside, wear shoes with slip-resistant grip and wear a few layers of thin clothing rather than one thick layer to trap in heat. It is also important that you have frequent hot food and drinks as these can help keep you warm. Make sure you also take the current weather alert into account when planning any activity over the following few days and try to avoid exposing yourself to cold or icy outdoor conditions especially if you're at high risk of cold-related illness or falls. We are also asking everyone to remember the needs of friends, relatives and neighbours who could be at risk during this period of cold weather. If you or they are eligible for a COVID-19 autumn booster or flu vaccination, please make sure you get it as soon as you can. Here's that update, Helen. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. Wolves will travel to Anfield to take on Liverpool in the third round of the FA Cup. The draw echoes the clash in 2017 when the then championship side Wolves pulled off a stunning 2-1 victory over Jurgen Klopp's men. Richard Stearman and Andy Weimann scored Wolves' goals. Wolves repeated the feat two years later when they downed the Reds again in the Cup in 2019, this time at Molyneux. Raul Jimenez and Ruben Neves struck for Wolves on that occasion. The third round tie will be broadcast on ITV4 with a kick-off time of 8pm on Saturday, January the 7th. Wolves played out an entertaining 2-2 draw with local rivals Birmingham City in a training game at Compton Park over the weekend. The fixture was a chance to give players much-needed minutes as they continue to prepare for the return of football after the World Cup. Diego Costa got Wolves' first goal of the afternoon, finishing off Nelson Semedo's cross to round off a fine team move, and Daniel Podence added another for Wolves from the penalty spot. Wolves are reportedly hoping to raid Atletico Madrid for a pair of Brazilian internationals. Talks are underway to make striker Mateus Cunha and defender Felipe the first two signings of the Yulen Lopetegui era. Cunha, 23, signed for the Spanish club in August 2021 and since arriving has netted seven times in 54 appearances, also managing eight assists. Meanwhile, 33-year-old Felipe is a league title winner in Brazil, Portugal and Spain. Starting his senior career with Corinthians in his homeland, Felipe moved to Porto the same summer Nuno Espirito Santo took over as their manager. 
Time's up for Wolves striker Raul Jimenez and Mexico at the World Cup, but the scale of the recovery following his life-threatening head injury has been laid bare. Last week marked two years on from the Mexican's horrifying fractured skull sustained away at Arsenal. After an initial eight months of rehabilitation, the 31-year-old has remarkably gone on to feature in all three of Mexico's group stage matches. The striker has always remained positive about returning to action. Jimenez said, I never thought about finishing my career or stopping playing. I was always confident I was going to return. I want to show more that I can do more. Although his former Wolves captain Connor Cody revealed the squad felt the journey back was a long one. I think the big thing is the bravery he's shown in coming back, Cody said of Jimenez, who continues to play in protective headwear. I'll be honest because I've seen times when he came and he couldn't do anything. He had a big scar on his head and all he could do was walk around the training pitch. From our selfish point of view, to hear at the time he could come back and join in with us was just incredible. Meanwhile, in sunnier climbs, Semi Ajayi and Daryl Dyke continued their step up from injury as Albion closed their training camp in Spain with a 1-0 friendly defeat against Elche. The home side scored a winner on the hour through Ezekiel Ponce as Carlos Corbran handed almost the entirety of his senior squad minutes. But Albion have been handed a boost ahead of the championship return with duo Ajayi and Dyke bagging an important 45 minutes of action. Winger Grady Diangana was Albion's only senior player to miss out. Diangana missed the friendly with what is believed to be a minor knock. Albion and Elche, who are bottom and winless in La Liga, played out a goalless first half in which frontman Brandon Thomas Assant had a goal ruled out for offside. But Elche found a winner as Ponce lifted over substitute goalkeeper David Button to condemn the visitors to a warm-up defeat. Albion will now step up preparations as the senior squad and staff return home from Spain this week ahead of a return to the club's championship action. It is back to familiar settings of the club's Walsall training base for Carlos Corberan and his players as league action will resume next week, with Albion tackling Sunderland at the Stadium of Light on Monday the 12th of December for a fixture moved for television broadcast. West Brom to face non-league Chesterfield in FA Cup tie. Albion face a tricky FA Cup third round as they get set to take on Paul Cook's National League promotion chasers Chesterfield. It'll be the first time either side have met in a competitive competition since a nil-nil draw at Chesterfield's old home of Saltergate in 1948. The third round tie will take place between January the 6th and 9th. Former West Brom boss Darren Moore backs Carlos Corbran to succeed. He told the Express and Star, For me, you know, I've been watching events unfold at the club since I left, and it's been an up and down time for the Albion. I've always wanted the best for the football club. Having met Carlos, he's a real top guy, a real, real thoroughbred. He's very hard-working and very diligent with his work. He absolutely will squeeze the life out of everybody because of his work ethic, which I think is what the Albion need. He'll work morning and afternoon sessions. It'll be very diligent with the work and his work ethic won't ever be called into question. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out as we have the quiz answers. Hello and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. Why did the ancient Chinese send cards to their friends? And the answer, to wish them good luck. Question two, how many people are estimated to be employed in the greeting card industry? 
And the answer here is over 100,000. Question three. What was the name of the man who devised and sold the first Christmas cards? And the answer here is Henry Cole. Question four. How much did he sell his cards for in 1843? And the answer, of course, is one shilling, which would be about £5 in today's money. Question five. What was the nickname given to postmen in the Victorian times? And the answer here is they were called Robins. And finally, question six. On average, how many Christmas cards does each UK household send each year? And the answer here is 50. So, how did you get on? Did you get them all right? If not, don't worry. There's another chance to have a go next week. But for now, bye. Cheers, Mina. Now up next, it's Liz, with an article about one of the world's most renowned opera singers. Mesmerising performer Andrea Bocelli reflects on how he has never let his lifelong experience of sight loss stand in the way of his soul-stirring success. Andrea Bocelli is known for his mellifluous singing voice. The Italian tenor has legions of fans for his unique blend of opera and pop music. What many people may not know is the Italian great lost his eyesight at the age of 12. His problems with eyesight preceded this event, however. From a young age, Bocelli lived with congenital glycoma. Congenital glycoma, also known as childhood glycoma, is a rare condition that can occur in infants and young children. Like other forms of glycoma, congenital glycoma can be split into primary and secondary types. Primary congenital glycoma occurs when the disease does not result from another condition or illness, whereas secondary congenital glycoma develops as a result of an injury or disorder. Some of the signs for possible eye trouble in children are not obvious. For childhood glycoma, symptoms may include unusually large eyes due to increased pressure, the cornea, transparent front section of the eye, may appear cloudy, the child may also exhibit excessive tearing and photosensitivity, closing one or both eyes with exposure to light. There may be signs and symptoms indicative of poor peripheral vision, for example running or bumping into objects. Some children with childhood glycoma may complain of discomfort or pain in the eye if there is a rapid increase in intraocular pressure. In the UK, studies suggest that primary congenital glycoma can occur in 1 per 18,500 births annually. The condition can affect just one eye, but it is usually present in both. Undeterred by his ailing eyesight, Bocelli began taking piano lessons at age six and later played flute and saxophone. Six years later, the singer's life took a sudden and profound turn. At age 12, he became totally blind after suffering a brain hemorrhage as the result of a soccer accident. Recalling that traumatic time, Bocelli has said in the past, As a child, I was very lively and uncontrollable. I loved playing football, and one day during a match, I was hit violently in the face with a ball on my right eye, the only one which I could see light and colour with. 
The doctors tried to cure me with various operations and they even used leeches, but there was nothing that could be done. With a continued passion for music, Vercelli refused to give up on his dreams and started to learn how to read music through Braille. Giving a rare insight into his process, a few years ago, Bocelli shared, You see, learning a part is easy, but it is a different thing to have the part in your throat, as we say. For the difficult sections, I use a Braille school. Otherwise, when I have something to study, I have my pianist Carlo come to the house every day. Undeterred by his lack of sight, he studied law at the University of Pisa while singing at piano bars and nightclubs to finance his education. After obtaining his degree, he practiced law as a state-appointed attorney for a year before deciding on a musical career and studying voice with tenor Franco Corelli. Bocelli would go on to have runaway success afterwards, selling millions of albums and even earning the praise of opera legend Pavarotti. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!